Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, Kyle Sutherland here. Before we get started on episode number 150, I wanted to remind you that that is what this episode is, despite... The amount of times that I call it 149, I had a couple of things wrong, and this one apparently was not on my game today. So appreciate you guys' patience with that. Other than that, hope you guys enjoy episode number 150. Check out the Hog Talk podcast, the newest addition to the Hit That Line podcast network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. Hey, former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard Show Suey winner and a <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback Baseball and the Ladybacks. Razorback Nation, welcome into episode number 149 of the Hog Talk Podcast. I'm your Monday host, Kyle Sutherland, alongside Porter Hayes and Kevin Bohannon. We thank you, as always, for tuning in. And while you're listening, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the pod. You can find us anywhere you listen. While you're there, if you could give us some star power and a written review, it would greatly help us out to get our content out there and to reach more people. And, guys, before we get started, I want to remind you that the show is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online, From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wait than any place online and you can also get involved virtually through the online casino that never closes so head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses again that's betonline.ag and sign up today bet online your online sportsbook experts we're gonna start the show off with some breaking news now it's breaking news as of course we're doing this now once this drops it will not be everybody should know about it by then but the Razorbacks football team will be playing in the Texas Bowl on January or December 31st the final day of the 2020 year I know that many of us are so happy that it will be going not that really anything is going to be changed at the beginning of 2021 but the Razorbacks will be playing the TCU Horn Frogs in Houston at Reliance Stadium at 7 p.m. on New Year's Eve. And so, uh, guys, first of all, Kevin, I'll start with you. You know, is that a good matchup? I don't know if how much uh, Big 12 football you've watched this year, TCU, but they finished fifth in the Big 12. You think that's a good matchup for the Hogs? I do, and the Big 12 has kind of shifted a little bit. They weren't the high-powered offense this year. TCU beat ranked Oklahoma State. who had a really good defense there. TCU is led by quarterback Max Duggan. He's got 1,800 yards passing, and he's also their leading rusher on the year. So uh, a Gary Patterson team is always going to be a good competition and a good game. Of course, we had a home-and-home with them a couple years ago during the Brett Bielema era. I split with them. I was actually at the last TCU game that we played at Reynolds Razorback Stadium. Wasn't the best game. But, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for these young players that we have and our young roster to get out there and get 15 more practices, I believe and get after the Horn Frogs in the last game of the 2020 season. Yeah, TCU is a good matchup because I was kind of afraid it's going to be someone like a Texas or an OU that really passed the ball, relied on their passing game. And But what does scare me about TCU is their quarterback is their leading rusher and leading passer. So, you know, we've got that dual threat, you know, to worry about. You know, we've seen against Kellen Mond, you know, the success he had picking apart that zone. But you know, I don't think Dugan is as talented as Mon. So the when we played him before in a bowl game, and we do really well against TCU. So fifth in there, I mean, they had some really good wins. So it it all depends on, and when we come to bowl season, you never know what team you're going to get. And I think with Arkansas coming to this game, wanting to end the season on a high note, uh, they're going to become ready to play. So it all depends on what TCU's mindset is, how really prepared, if any of their players are going to opt out on on how this outcome. Yeah, Max Dugan, uh, 1,795 yards, and uh, ten, he, his passing numbers are not that great. But like you said, he is a dual threat. Uh, he's got 10 touchdowns to four interceptions, but he does have the 526 rushing yards. Um, you know, they've got about – 
they've got three different guys. Of course, one of those being Zach Evans being the freshman running back. There was a whole lot of drama coming out of Galena North Shore. He, I think he was initially – I don't know if he ever signed with Georgia, but I know he was committed. Number one running back prospect for the 2020 class has been very involved in their offensive game along with Darren Barlow. And so uh, I don't think this is your typical – well, I say your typical Gary Patterson team because you, back in 2010, 2011, 2012, around uh, those times, not quite – I guess – it the beginning of their uh, their their great run was about 10 years ago but they have kind of dropped off a little bit the last time we played them, we beat them in 2016 at their place 2017 beat them was last year they came in and whipped us up pretty good but either way I, I always like it when we play big 12 teams because we have a pretty good uh, shot at beating at least if what history tells us but I think this is I, I want to say that there's about 14,000 tickets that will be issued we may know more details uh, by the time that this podcast drops but I, I love the matchup. It's always fun playing in Texas. It's always fun playing against a Texas team. It really takes you back to – I know TCU wasn't in the Southwest Conference, but it takes you back to those old Southwest Conference rivalry days, especially for the generation before us. And I think that it's going to be a great turnout in Houston. Yeah, the first game I ever went to actually was a TCU game, and it was in Little Rock. I think it was back in 1990, I believe. So, yeah, it's always good that we get to recruit the state of Texas while we're, while we're down there, and it's going to be in, in Houston, which is a little deep south Texas. Uh, Kyle, I know you're familiar with that area, having spent some time in San Antonio. So, yeah, it's, it's good for the program, uh, and these, these kids get to play one more game, hopefully in front of their families. I know we talked about 14,000 tickets. And just to end on a better note going into the 2021 season, and as you said, it, who knows what team is going to show up because we've already had superstars like Kyle Pitts. I'm not going to say opt out. He's already declared for the NFL draft. So you're going to have guys like that. Bowl season always brings a little extra intrigue and it's going to be a lot of fun that we still get to play in Sam Pittman's first year in a bowl game. Yeah, and, and we talked about during the Missouri game just how important that game was for Arkansas to win because the Bama game coming up and the LSU game you know, they needed to get that win. So of all the opponents that could have chose to play in the Texas Bowl against Arkansas, I really like this matchup because it is a winnable game. And we really need to end this season on a high note. You started off with three conference wins, kind of fell off. So getting back on track is very important, especially when you're getting to go down to Texas and, and hit that pipeline and, and get recruiting back on track. You know, I said I told you guys that I would for sure be going if we go to Memphis to the Liberty Bowl or to Fort Worth to the Armed Forces Bowl because that was probably the most reasonable drive for me. But I, I think I might – I'm really starting to consider this Houston trip. I, you know, like Cabo said, I lived about two and a half hours west of there, spent a good bit of – not a good bit of time, but I went to Houston a couple of times while I lived in Texas. And so a lot of ties down there. A lot of my friends are uh, very upset. A lot of them are A&M fans, so you can imagine – of course, as we're recording just a few hours prior, they uh, they got snubbed out of the the college football playoff, which we'll get into in segment two. But um, you know, it, it's all it's a really great area for football down there. All all you know, you look at NFL, high school, college, and like Cabo said, it's it's always good to. I, I personally uh, do hope that we go away from Jerry World in 2024 and end up playing home and home with Texas A and M. But nonetheless, it is always good for recruiting to. Uh, to get your name out there down there to those Texas recruits where you always where you, where you try to set a pipeline. You've already got the DFW area, I wouldn't say locked up, but you've got a lot of great relationships over there. Kendall Bryles, of course, coaching at Houston and then spending plenty of time around there. Uh, it's just really good all the way around. And so, again, that's going to be on New Year's Eve, uh, January 31st. Or I keep saying January, December 31st at 7 p.m. Central Time. So we'll talk more about that as that game does get closer. It's crazy. You know, we get uh, normally whenever we get a bowl selection, you get about a month or so to prepare. But, uh, of course, with the later season, you got uh, you got about really – uh, Yeah, 10 days. Pretty much basically a well, week and I a half. I like that. I like that because, you know, you're especially when you're coming off, you know, you don't want that long layoff. You know, you're, you're getting – especially – and I think that might be one of the things that helps kind of teach you in this game because they're coming off a three-game winning streak. And now they got 11 days to prepare. So it ain't like, you know, you're these national championship teams that are in the final four, you know, they finish, usually finish their, their conference championship games on like the 5th of December and then they play a month later. So I think this is really going to help those teams out. And especially with, with COVID going on, that limits your time that you have for people doing other things 
now you can kind of keep a control on your players still and it really help out with the travel. Definitely, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I, and like you said, it's we see how many times that, especially the teams that play in the New Year's Six or in the National Championship, some of those have over a month off, and you're really rusty when you yeah. come back in. And so I think that it's definitely beneficial that uh, that the shorter time, yeah, you get some time to rest, you get some time to spend with your families for Christmas, but uh, then you play some football right after and um, complete a season that um, just we're thankful to get through. We'll say it again. We cannot say it enough. But we'll switch over to uh, to women's basketball. I want to start with them. We'll talk about the men's. I'll, I want to start with the good news because the women, they are still on a roll defeating Joe Foley's Little Rock Trojans on Saturday, 80-70. to 70. Uh, Porter, I'll, I'll let you start with this. You know, we've got one more game against UAPB on Tuesday before they head to Kentucky to start SEC play. There's just so many things. There's just not a lot of negatives that we've seen. They've gotten off to a lot of hot runs. They're still shooting very well. Uh, you know, Coach Neighbors is feeling very optimistic as he seemed in the postgame presser after the Little Rock game on Saturday. And it's just uh, just a lot of positives going on right now. And just, uh, you know, going into the, to this SEC play, you really couldn't ask for much more. Yeah, we, we knew this was going to be a tough matchup. I mean, the coaching aside, you know, Foley and, and Neighbors and their familiarity, but you know, Little Rock's a good squad. I mean, they're a tournament team, and that's what Mike Neighbors emphasized. And, and try to get the girls to motivate us. When we go into this Jack Stevens Center, I want you to look up the NCAA banners that are in the gym. There's more in that arena than there is in Bud Walton Arena for the women. So, I mean, I think that really helped. And this, this team is just so focused this year. I, I've said it many a times. It's almost like a business trip. But if you wanted me to point out a negative, I mean, just the way that Little Rock was able to get the inside game going and get those second-chance points. And, I mean, Crane went off for 27, Battle had 18, and Bournes had 12. So, I mean, they were able to score. And they the, the thing with Little Rock is they scrapped. I mean, we thought this game was going to be over with three minutes to go. I mean, I think they were up 12, 15 points. We thought it was going to cruise. But, you know, Little Rock kept on fighting. And, you know, it was an 80-70 to 70 game. But, you know, coming off finals, really – you know, you know, Little Rock's going to give them their best shot, especially with them being ranked so high at 12, you know. But, you know, Dungy, you know, she, she banged up her knee a little bit, talked to Coach, and said she's doing, you know, she just run into another player's knee. Nothing, nothing's twisted or sprained. But she led the scoring with 18. Destiny Slocum really just continues to impress me. And, ha- you know, she had 16 points. Amber Ramirez had a little slow go. You know, she ended up with 10. But, um, Another one that really we kind of talked about a little bit is, is Jayla Mason. You know, she hit three big threes to really spark the the team. But, man, I tell you what, Michaela Daniels has really stepped up in that point guard role this year in the absence of, you know, Alexis Tolfrey. And she's got a this step-back shot that she can just come off, the, off in transition and pop a three at any time. So, again, great win. I mean, if you want to point, there's only one negative. That's the inside game. I think they – they get that cleaned up by SEC play. They got one more game against UAPB before they hit hit the SEC schedule. So, but yeah, this team's on a roll. They're focused. They're poised. And th- this team getting that tournament taken away from them last year, they're on a mission. I mean, Chelsea Dungy, you know, she said she lost like 25 pounds. Really worked on her mid range game, and they're they're going to be fun to watch. And other, outside of South Carolina, I mean, I don't see you know. Talent-wise, who's going to stack up just to how deep this team is? Yeah, and I've talked about yeah. – or go ahead, Cable. Oh, yeah, there, there's a – just real quick, there's a reason that Joe Foley is one of the most respected coaches in America. And to say, go off what you said, Porter, in the post-game press conference, Coach Neighbors said, you know, just look up at the banners. You know that's a really good ball team we played. And Arkansas has gotten used to pack, attacking teams that have a really good post-game. So that was one thing that was a positive that came out of it. Uh, they are going to struggle against teams that have a really good inside presence, like you said. That's just something that they've conceded this year. They just have to know how to overcome that. I think they did a really good job with their guard play and their shooting. This team is going to rely on being able to shoot the ball really well, and that's one thing that's gone really well for them so far. You know, stands the Maryland game, which was their, what, fourth game in five days. So, yeah, uh, yeah going into conference play, this is it's looking really good. They, they're they right where we thought they would be. Uh, we, we, we projected probably one loss going into conference play, which is where they're at. So, uh, looking forward to watching them get after Kentucky and getting into the, the meat of this SEC schedule. 
Yeah, and I you talk about the inside game, Kevin. Is that's one thing that I had mentioned is that I think that that's what's going to keep them uh, from. I, I think that they can compete with South Carolina for a little while, but it's just they're just on a totally different level. It's like how we saw UConn for so many years, Tennessee, just have so much all across the board. Got starters on the, they got people on the bench that could be starting just about anywhere. And that was one of the things that I really liked about what Coach Neighbor said in the post game presser after Little Rock was that he's got eight players right now. He'd like to get up to nine by SEC play, but on the bench, you've got Marquisha Davis. You've got Jalen Mason, who came off an injury, and you've got Aaron. Uh, Aaron, uh, is it Barnes? It's Barnes, right? Not Barnum, Barnum. Yeah, Barnum. Barnum. Yeah, I knew it was Barnes. I, I literally just had a brain. I know she's number four. I just had a brain fart. Yep. So, and then you've got Aaron Barnum. So you knew that Jalen coming off the injury was going to start off a little slow, not just the injury, but having to deal with everybody had to with the pandemic. So you, you had to figure out that she was going to have to get her feet wet and get things figured out, and she really did take a step forward against Little Rock. And to have those players, he's if you've got eight right now that, that you feel comfortable with, that can keep you in a game, that can win games for you, close them out, that's exactly what you're looking for as a coach. And one thing I'll notice, too, that I'll point out, as they continue to shoot well, you know, Taylor Thomas has done phenomenal on the boards this year. It's just such a great player inside. We've talked about that. And she didn't really have that great of a game, at least stats-wise, against Little Rock. But the shooting was able to to bail out that anything that wasn't they were not getting done inside, just like they've done all year. So my question with this team is, because there's really not a whole lot from what we've seen. I mean, they've done just about everything that you could ask them to do, is if – maybe Ramirez and and Chelsea, I, it's very unlikely that all of your guards and arguably the back, best backcourt in the nation are going to be off for a game. But if let's just say that they're all having a really bad shooting night and then you don't have that presence from Taylor Thomas inside or, or if you rely on down in the paint, will they be able to overcome that? That's my question with this team when they move into SEC play. Yeah, we were speaking about South Carolina and, you know, they, they got beat by NC State and you know, the coach, you know, Don Staley didn't take that loss too well. And I think it really humbled the team. And from what I'm seeing, I mean, they're not the dominant South Carolina like they were last year. Um, on the other hand, Arkansas has to go to South Carolina and play. But the good thing is you're not going to be playing again. This is crazy to say about women's basketball is you're not going to be going into a 19,000-packed stadium when you play them. It's going to be very limited. So that helps out Arkansas on that road trip. But I want to bring up Michaela Daniels again. And just her stepping up and having that second guard that can really run this offense really because coach neighbors is really wanting to have a fast paced offense this year and they're really quick. So having that, that second guard that can really step up if you know, destiny's not feeling it or she's in foul trouble, you know, you, you got somebody else who can run the ball. Yeah, definitely. And so I, again, there's just not a whole lot of, a lot of questions right now, just because they've answered just about everything there. I mean, with the way they've shot, the way they've played defense, um, just, it's, it's exciting going in. It's not quite as exciting for the guys, which we're going to get into just uh, from the scare that they had uh, given us against Oral Roberts. But real quick, again, the Ladybacks will be playing UAPB on Tuesday uh, for their final non-conference game, and then they will be uh, traveling to Kentucky to begin SEC play. And so the guys on Sunday, they played uh, Oral Roberts, and Oral Roberts coming in was a 3-4 and four team. They their losses were to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Missouri, who, which Missouri is, has a win over at the time number six Illinois. So all of their losses are pretty justified. And then they lost to a really good Razorbacks team, a really good Razorbacks team that again is just not there chemistry wise. And again, I say I don't have any questions of whether these guys are really good friends. I don't doubt that. Uh, you can see on the field or on the court how close they are. Some of the things that they do in practice, from what social media shows, shows us, but. They've just still got a ways to go before, and it takes time. It typically does, and then you add in everything that they've gone through. We've talked all about that. But this kind of stuff, you you, you have to think that this team is going to have that humbling loss, whether it be getting blown out somewhere or just uh, losing a game that they shouldn't have lost. We dang near about had it against Oral Roberts. And you look at it at halftime, it was 40-30. to 30. I think at one point that Oral Roberts, their biggest lead was – I know they were leading by 12. I want to say they were maybe leading by 14 at one point. But just we're killing you on the boards. Um, just weren't, we were not, we did not shoot the three ball very, very well. Justin Smith had a really good game. We just kept turning the ball over. Their defense was suffocating. I mean, you can just say so many great things to compliment them in the first half. But, you know, again, you would expect that this team is going to get that, that loss that really humbles them, but it's just a good thing that they didn't get it against Oral Roberts that would look really, really bad on the resume. 
Yeah, and, and you're speaking about the three-point shooting. They went 16%, four for 24 for the three. So you, you really played a bad shooting game. And to win by 11 against the team, I mean, you, you can kind of compare it to the Little Rock game because Oral Roberts really always plays up for this game on the men's side. So, yeah, you're not going to win too many SEC games shooting 16%, you know, four for 24 from the three-point land. But – I kind of go back to the women's and how at the beginning of the season, they always come up to that slow start. They would go, you know, miss their first five shots or six shots. So once Arkansas gets the momentum where they're coming out from the hot starts and they're really starting the game strong, I think they're going to be just fine. So it's good to be playing like this early in the season. That is the big difference between men's basketball and football is you can play these games, have these slow starts and, and not really have a good game. And if even if you drop one, you're still good when it comes to SEC time. You're still good when it comes to tournament time because there's not just, you know, four teams. There's 68. So I, I think, you know, they're they're really itching. The, and these kids have been through a lot. I know the basketball season started later than football, but, you know, they still have to go through the same testing and all this stuff. And, you know, they just got done with finals. And a lot of the kids, you know, I don't know what the, the, the team situation is when it comes to the, the kids being able to go home and Christmas. You know, you know it's the holiday times. You know, all the kids are thinking about being with their families and missing their families. And so it, it, it's a bit real hard on these players. And you're going to have these games. I mean, yeah, they've had a couple of games in a row where they've kind of been in the, some closer games than we thought. But I think once they get to that momentum where they're starting off with these hot starts and they keep that pedal down, they're going to be just fine. And we talked, we, we were talking earlier about how many games has the University of Arkansas lost from now the coach coming out of finals week. It, it's always ugly. And I think, Kyle, you said earlier, we lost to somebody like Mercer in Little Rock one year. But let's look at the positives for just a sec. This team scored 87 points. They're averaging 90 a game. They're in the top in the nation in scoring offense and they started out ice cold they still shot terrible from three-point land but they ended up 41 percent of the game they, they still won by 11 so when you, you know sometimes uh, a, a rocky road or, or is better than a smooth walk or whatever mike anderson used to say i can't remember the exact quote but sometimes you're going to have those bumpy rides and this was one of those games that, but we came out on top teams in the past mike anderson uh in the teams before that, they would lose these type of games, but they came back at the end. Like you said, Justin Smith had a phenomenal game, double-double, 22.17 rebounds. Desi Seals also had a double-double, 16 and 10, and that 10 is on the rebounds. He also uh, had a few assists in there as well. Uh, Moses Moody still consistent, 18 points, right where he's averaging on the year. They only shot 70% from the line. So, yeah, there's a few things they need to work on to get ready for that 12-30 matchup against Auburn. Yeah, and I was going to yeah, say, too. Yeah, go ahead. Go well, ahead. I was, was going to bring up uh, one thing that we we talked about. You mentioned Desi, and I and I got to admit defeat on that because uh, I said that it, it seemed like that he was just a six-man. Now, I did give a little bit of credit and say that with all these new players coming in that I do want to give him a shot. at. The, I think that he definitely has earned it. He certainly deserves it. But it's been clear up to this year that his best – suited role was off the bench as a six man he was just dominant typically off the bench and he has been really well in his starter role and then like you said gets the double double today but speaking of desi we talked a lot about his early shooting woes from deep last year why is nobody bringing that up with jd note uh you know i hate to bring up something <laughs> negative but it's like Over, the guy the, yeah, the guy is yeah. a shooter i mean he he is a shooter i'm not taking that thing away from him but Lord, guys, he's got to be under 30% now. I know going into this game, I, I want to say he was like 32 to 34. That's just kind of just taking a shot in the dark there. But he's got to be under twenty, under 30% now. And so I'm not saying to completely stop it, but we've got to figure out something to get him in better position. I don't know what it is, uh, but it's just whatever he's trying is just not working for him right now. Well, the thing I wanted to bring up was, you know, a game like this, you kind of want to, Get your five rolling, or and I don't know what Muslin's plan is. You know how he's coaching. He might have wanted to get with a five and stick with a five. But usually in a game like this, you know you don't want to get. But you look at the minutes. Smith played thirty nine minutes. Seals played thirty four minutes. Tate played thirty eight, and No Tate played thirty minutes. You know, in in SEC play, you know it's going to be hard 
to not wear this team down if they're playing like this two times a week in an SEC schedule. I, I think that's where the, the depth of this team and these guys need to step up. And it's very more important that goes to your shooting. You look at all the minutes that these guys are playing, and it really will affect your three-point shooting and your transition offense because if you're just running all those minutes and playing that long and you're getting tired and gassed out, it's, it's really going to affect your shooting. Yeah, and they they better get it figured out really quick. You know, I, I brought up a, a kind of a hot take last on last week's show that it's very very likely that the Razorbacks. I, I'm not saying it'll happen. I'll, I can't reiterate that enough. But it is very very likely, um, or at least a. I don't know. I don't even want to say likely because that that seems like I'm definitely saying it'll happen. It it would not shock me if the Razorbacks start off 0-3, just because they still have work to do and they're playing three quality teams to open the season and. Our, our, uh, our graphics guy, Keith Kelly, told me that, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say it on air here, he told me that if that does happen, that I do get a free Hog Talk t-shirt. So, I mean, I, the fact that I'll get a free t-shirt out of it, at least that'll at least be a winner because, it, you know what, I'll, I'll be in a win-win situation. It'll be early season. You'll have plenty of time to clean up what you need to clean up, and I get a free t-shirt out of it. So, I mean, from yeah, my personal go. standpoint, I, I can't complain too much. So, but the, the Razorbacks have one more non-conference game. They play Abilene Christian. Is that now? I don't have that schedule right in front of me. That one is on when? Is it? No, it won't be Wednesday because that'll be the twenty-third. Is it? Uh, and I don't have. Do y'all know what day it is? No, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I don't. I don't have that right. I've got the women's schedule right here in front of me. Uh, but I know so they, they play uh, Abilene Christian on Tuesday at 4 okay. p.m. So they play Tuesday, just like the girls play. Uh, or the play the girls play on Monday. I think I said, man, I've got yes, this all mixed yeah, up. The so the girls play tomorrow. Yeah, so the girls play on Monday, which will when this drops against UAPB, and then the guys play Tuesday the twenty first. So yeah, man, there's too many days. I'm actually usually, you know, those people in in school they say that like they always they don't ever want dates and all this stuff on test. I was actually one of those weird ones that liked that because I can remember dates typically really well. I'm good with birthdays. But I have been all over the place on these sports dates right now. So yeah, the girls play Monday the twenty first against UAPB. The guys play at one Abilene, p.m. at one p.m. against Abilene yeah. Christian on Tuesday. So we got that straight. And so we're up against a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the fiasco in the college football playoff. Uh, whether we agree with who got in, I don't think that any of. I think that we all have different takes on uh, who should be in. But I definitely think that we all agree that the way that it happened uh, should not have been. So we'll talk about that. And we're also going to. Have have uh, Brad Caldwell on from Primetime Preps High School Podcast doing a quick season recap of the state of Arkansas high school football that capped on Saturday. So we'll be right back after this. Stay with us. The Hawk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. We're back on episode number 149 of the Hog Talk podcast. Kyle Sutherland, Kevin Bohan, and Porter Hayes, and we're now joined by Primetime Preps High School Football Podcast, Brad Caldwell. Brad, I loved being on your pod a couple of times. Appreciate you hopping on to ours. Man, thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. So we'll uh, we'll get into a quick recap of Arkansas high school football season and how Wild, that was 132 cancellations, eight opt-outs from the playoffs. But uh, we'll start off with the college football playoff. I wanted to get you in on this action because myself, Kevin Porter, the Hog Talk crew, we've been group texting about it, of course, since it all got announced. But for those that haven't heard, I'm sure everybody has by now, Alabama 1, Notre Dame 2, Clemson 3, Ohio State 4. Now, I think that well, we – you got Yeah, we got Clemson 2, Notre Dame 3. 
The disrespect. Yeah, yeah, yeah the at? disrespect. Yeah, where's, where's that buzzer, buzzer at? <laughs> wait, oh, did I wait? Did I have it wrong, man? I'm having everything wrong. Al- today. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, then Notre Dame. That's right. Okay, so yeah. again, all right. Well, you know, in that case, I got to buzz myself <laughs> on that. One. I'm, I mean, I'm getting dates wrong today. I'm getting all that stuff. Okay, so yeah, so man, I'm telling you, I'm just all over the place. So I had to buzz myself for that one. I'm glad that we have that bite there now. But uh, so yeah, I think that. That it's it's clear. Um, I, I would imagine that all of us agree that Ohio State probably shouldn't have been in. That's just really nothing more. I mean, they talk about the eye test uh, so many different times. I mean, that's what we've talked about since 2014 when this came about. But I wanted to, I put this on Facebook today, and I'm kind of torn. I, I definitely think that Ohio State should not have been in. Uh, no question about that. But then I think about it, it's like it would be the most Ohio State thing to do. Everybody, pretty much the entire world, against them. And it would be the most Ohio State thing to do to come in like they did in 2014. Nobody expected them to do anything. They squeezed in, and then they had maybe the most dominant run of any team in college football playoff history. And, Brad, I'll start with you. So who well, – I'll ask you. You don't have to answer this in any particular order. But who was your top four, and uh, do you think that Ohio State would rightfully got in? Um, you know, I don't know if there was a rightfully this year. Especially um, in that top four, if I had to choose four, I probably would have went Alabama one, Clemson two, A and M three, and then you could toss a coin for Notre Dame and Ohio State. I mean, you know, I think you probably could have even made a, a case for Florida in that that fourth spot. But I mean, at the end of the day, college football has come down to two teams and it's Clemson and it's Alabama and that's it really I mean that's the only two teams that even have a shot to win it anymore um you know Ohio State is is up there I've gotten to a point with the playoffs that the playoffs have come mundane to me because you can guarantee Alabama you can guarantee Clemson you can guarantee Ohio State every single year and then you rotate Oklahoma rotate Georgia rotate Notre Dame that's your teams that can get in I am actually a proponent of 2014 playoff just like they do in Division Two. I know it's not going to happen. It's Republicans and Democrats and bureaucracy and all that other mess. But I would absolutely love to see a true playoff because when you have to make these teams play more games, it actually gives you a chance to have some variety. Not to say that anybody's going to knock off Alabama on a consistent basis or Clemson, but when you make them have to go more and more and more, it at least gives you the opportunity and it makes them earn their way a little bit more. Yeah, but I, on that, I, if we was to expand it, I would only go to six, and here's why, is because there's always there's always a debate between five and six or who should be in the final four. I think if you go to six, it allows for that conference tie-in, the automatic bid, but you're not watering, because if you think, who, who got eight this year? You know, put them against Bama, or you say like a Coastal Carolina goes against it, it wouldn't last a couple of years because there, the beatdowns would be worse than already is in the, in the semifinals. And it was hard this year because you look at what Clemson and Notre Dame with Clemson put in, or Notre Dame was at two playing Clemson three. So Notre Dame loses. They were going to be in that fourth spot because they didn't want to have a rematch automatically with um, Clemson again. And then you're looking at where to put Ohio state. Well, I think, in my opinion, if they were going to put Ohio State in, they should have been four. Texas A&M should have been at three. That way, Clemson would have played Texas A&M round one. And with all the controversy going into what the Big Ten did, put them in at four, make them play Bama right off the bat. You shouldn't have gave them a pass at three. But that was the committee's fault because they ranked them so high to begin with. that So you can't back them up that much when they haven't really done anything and they didn't do nothing all season anyway i mean they they played six games then they changed the rule well now they just come out with a new rule today instead of a 21 game or a 21 day quarantine now it's 17 so i I put out a tweet earlier it's like the big Ten's changing more rules than backyard football so it's weird that the the conference that was all about safety that was all about you know putting that footprint and we're not even going to play now they get more passes than the SEC. So, and if you want my personal opinion, Ohio State, Ohio State shouldn't even been able to play because they had to change the rules to even get them in that championship game to begin with. So, but 
you know, me personally, I'm happy with, you know, Clemson getting number two. I mean, they when, when they're full strength, they're very dangerous. So I'm really looking forward to another matchup with, with Bama. Um, I just with, – with Ohio State not having a run game and they don't have the big weapons, I mean, I, I think they'll bottle field just like they did book. Can, can I back up real quick? And I, I agree with your point on, yeah. on the deserving and who can win it and all that. But how much fun would it be in December to have a March Madness-style football bracket? You know what I mean? And, you know, I find myself watching FBS. I find myself watching Division Two when we have a normal year because of all of the, the fun that it is to, to watch these teams go through the bracket. You know, and I agree. I mean, you're still looking at some beatdowns. You're looking at some – some lopsided plays and victories and stuff like that. But, boy, boy, you make these teams earn it, the better off that you are. And really, when you think about it, and I've said this for a long time, the bowls are a very antiquated system anyway, and the only reason that they're there is because there's a lot of people that make a lot of money that that are like a part of this bowl selection and, and bowl chairmen and all that. How cool would it be to be a bowl chairman? And that's your job. You make a million a year. You get you go scout teams all year long. I mean, come on, that's got to be one of the best jobs in history. But it's like you got to cut that crap out and get something going. Um, I'd love to see a full playoff in Division One, but we're a long, long way from it. That's that. And follow up your point. Yes, it's all about money now. The powers that be got their matchups. They got their darling in Notre Dame, who is the darling of NBC. They got Alabama and Clemson, who's been in the last 17 finals, it seems like. But, mm-hmm. yes, I knew it was going to be Alabama-Clemson. And then I was I was a proponent for A&M as well just because of their body of work. Now, for the G5 apologists out there about Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati, just because you go 11-0 and and play 11 games and beat one Power 5 team and two ranked teams, isn't justification for you being the fourth best team in the nation. Uh, and I gave this analogy earlier. Just because Harding Academy goes 11-0 and or 11-1 and doesn't mean they should get a chance to play Greenwood, who is 12-0. If you want to look at it on a smaller level in high school or if uh, Harding Academy plays PA, that's just not – it's not a really good matchup because PA would likely run, run, run them off the field. So – yeah, it's really nice to see those teams win and play well and get their shot, but they're not going to do it because they don't have the following. It's not a democratic uh, process like it is in baseball where you have 64 teams and Coastal Carolina was actually able to win it in 2016. So, yeah, I think, you know, Alabama Clemson was, was the right selection. I would have gone with A&M. And then the fourth spot was a coin flip. I, I'm, like, I'm like you, Brad. It could have been – Notre Dame, which got ran off the field yesterday, or it could have been Ohio State. We didn't know how the committee was going to penalize a team that only played six or seven games going into the year, and they backed themselves into a corner when they put Ohio State three or four going into this weekend. There was no way they were going to jump Texas A&M over those guys. So they knew going into last night or going into this morning that they were done. Well, and, and, I, and, we, and we look at this, you know, the, the big picture when you're talking about expanding this thing to 24, we look at and you look at D2 football and FCS, uh, clearly across the board, other than your big powerhouses, there's not a big talent gap between 1 and 24 when you look at the FCS as a whole. Now, it, there's a big difference between college basketball and college football because when we see this 24 and 48, you know, we're looking at the Cinderella's and March Madness and we're comparing it to the small schools coming up and beating the one. But all it takes is one or two guys in basketball to make the game change. You know, in football, more physical and you get wore down and all that so i really that's the only reason why i don't see it needing to go past eight and the only reason why i would even mention eight is what the college football playoff has done to college football is bad because now if you don't make that top four if you see kyle pitts has already declared for the draft more players are going to opt out for the draft and, and these players that are behind and they stay with the team they're going to be the ones that suffers because you played all year for a bowl game. Then you get to that bowl game, and just because it's not in the college football playoff, it doesn't mean anything. So I'm just going to go ahead and declare for the draft. So if you expanded it out to eight, maybe that would be the max I would ever do it is eight. Then you would get more meaningful games. Yeah, I'm going to agree with the eight. Yeah, or go go ahead, Brett. Well, well, I I mean, I'm with you on the eight and all that, and and I agree. I mean, I – it's it's a wild concept to be honest with you to go that far 
Um, and it's just something that I have thought for quite a while. It gets everybody um, an opportunity, your G5s, and, and then some of these teams that, uh, you know, like a Florida and, and then on down that, that have a chance. And it also, I think, helps keep coaches' jobs because you get a chance. Just think about like an Arkansas, for instance. Is Arkansas ever going to make a four-team playoff? Nope. Are they ever going to make an eight-team playoff? Probably not. You know, I mean, when you get into a 24-team playoff, you've got teams like Arkansas that get a chance to make it into the playoff and that sort of thing. So there is that and that aspect of it. Again, you know, I, I know I'm in the minority when it comes to that, but I think if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander in a lot of ways. I mean, the, the bowl system is, is an antiquated system. And, I mean, you're talking about – think about this. You stop playing games in the end of November – if you're lucky, you get to play in December most years, obviously this year being different. You don't play for six weeks. You go and you play your bowl game after you haven't played for six weeks. Most teams don't even play near what they are usually playing in the season because they're out of sync and out of whack. The only reason that you wait that long is because way back when, you used to have to travel by train and it took that long to get there. So, I mean, it's it's just it's crazy how how this, this works anymore. But again, it's, it's all about politics and and all that other stuff and and i get that hey look they they give gifts and everybody gets a chance to, you know so many people get a chance to win you know at the end of the season and all that stuff but at the end of the day there's only one winner and like you said about the opt-out i said this uh, i believe it's leonard fournette was the first one that i remember doing that and i said this is the first one and it will happen many many more times sure enough that's what's happened yeah, and I liked I liked bits and pieces of, of just about everything that you guys said, Cable. I liked how you talked about the uh, the G five apologist. In most years, I am just not about it. Uh, I mean, I just don't think that they're they don't that they make a case enough to. Uh, in, in pretty much just about every year I can think of, I don't think that they've made that any of those teams have made enough of a case to get in this year. I do think Cincy has a very very strong argument. That's one that I'll say you did prove me wrong earlier. I really I, I said Coastal Carolina in our group chat. I'll, I'll say this on air. Like I did mention that they deserve, <laughs> and I and I look back and I'm like no no they actually really don't. But I do think Cincinnati deserves a case. Um, but this is really probably the only year, just considering everything that's happened, the way that the Big Ten went about things, the way that the Pac twelve went about things. It's all of a sudden they wanted this seat at the adult table. Whenever they realized that wow we really made a big mistake what you know a month and a half down the road whatever it was and Brad I like your idea like on paper your idea about the March Madness football tournament is just it seems like the the greatest thing in the world like it would just be a fun weekend like kind of like what we do starting Thursday with March Madness you watch all those games Thursday Friday Saturday you do the same thing the next weekend but I but I want to follow that up with Porter's point too that you know it can be one or two guys in basketball and that's where I I I think too and that's why I draw the line around the six to eight mark I would probably go with the eight but I'm definitely on board with six is because we do have so many different blowouts in just the semifinal games I feel like if you put up I mean let's not even talk about Alabama versus the best Sunbelt team but I mean you put the second or third best, uh, I'll say, Conference USA team up against, you know, the fourth or fifth or sixth best SEC. And I would even maybe say, well, maybe the Big Ten possibly, but either way, one of those P5 conferences, I'm just throwing someone out of my hat there, that the, that the talent differential and just the speed would be way too much. And so, I don't know. I, I, I like arguments from just about every angle. I, I, I definitely agree with different parts of just about every one that I've heard, not all, but many. Um, and so I think really at the end of the day that there's always going, because it's, you know, before the, the earliest memory I have, uh, well, I don't have this memory just from what I've researched. This goes all the way back to 1969 during the, you know, you think about the, the shootout game, the game of the century where Nixon and Billy Graham, George H.W. Bush, they were there. Well, also some drama going on in college football was Joe Paterno fighting for his team, Penn State to get a national championship because they had had a pretty solid season. I can't remember exactly all that had happened, but this is this kind of stuff has been going on for so long. And, I mean, it's I really don't know how many you have to go to, how many you have to expand to for it to actually get fixed. But the, the, way, the way that it is is just nobody seems to ever is going to be satisfied. Yeah, and that's true. And that's why I think if you went to – because like was what I was saying earlier, you know, there's always that part between the five and six teams. So even if you went to eight, it, that would give that chance for, you know, because there's always one team in the Power Five that always comes up, you know. Now this year with Coastal Carolina and 
Cincinnati really putting on a show and, and making a case that they're a team. I mean, I think if you went with the eight, I think there needs to, there would be a buy. You know, make the other teams play into it. And it's almost like this year with five and six, it's like if you could have had the five and six play each other to get into the, the playoffs, some, some long lines of that, you know, where you can make it to where you're giving teams a shot and it, you could tie all the bowl games, the big, you know, you get the power six, you know, the six bowl games, you could tie that into the whole playoff system. So in that instance, you would keep your money, you would keep the integrity of the bowl, the big bowl game and just turn it into a playoff. Yeah, and I'll tell you, though, where there is no controversy whatsoever is the high school playoffs, whether it be in Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, anywhere in the entire country. Uh, you will not find that, at least in terms of who should be in and who and who isn't, especially this year in a season where everybody was eligible. Of course, like I mentioned, there were some there were eight that opted out. But this is uh, this is Brad. I know you, um, you, you and Bill Harshaw started the Primetime Preps High School podcast earlier this year. Of course, on the same network that the Hog Talk is on. The ESPN hit that line. Arkansas Network. We're all proud to be uh, partnered up with them. And and Brad, what a season, man! I know that for you, you know, back in August, I posted something on Facebook earlier. You know, Kevin and I had talked to Lance Taylor on here um, on an episode back this summer, and really all he was the executive director of the the AAA, and he was just telling us you know right now we've got plans in place but we just want to get to the finish line and you know we made it there not with some not without some bumps in the road uh, there was a lot of uh, these state championship games that were uh, quite lopsided I know the closest one uh, being uh, Desarc and Fordyce for the 2A state championship the Red Bugs of Fordyce coming out on top 35 to 32 but uh, man just you know this was a definitely a difficult one but a special one at the same time to be able to see these kids be able to finish the year. Absolutely, and it took flexibility from everybody. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the fact that when one team didn't have a game, they would go scrambling for a game, and they would find it. You know, and, and it wasn't about, hey, can we go win this game, or hey, how prepared are we for this game? It was, let's play this game because we may not get another chance to play. And um, I, I really I like that. Um, I think that, that when we look at things going forward, I think, not only on the high school level, but on the D1 college level as well. They did some of that, that, uh, you know, maybe we get a little bit more flexibility and, and stuff like that. But, you know, it was a difficult season. You know, people dealt with COVID issues and, um, you know, lots of lots of quarantining and, and frustration. You know, there's a lot of frustration. I, I talked to coaches and, you know, and they'd say, you know, this, this kid set by this kid in, in uh, class and he was, you know, one of six that were around him, and now he has. They have to quarantine. We got, you know, uh, we call Pottsville games, and Pottsville goes to Ozark, and they're 19 people down. Well, that's half the roster, you know. But they still played, and I asked the coach. I said, "Was it was that a good idea to do that?" And he said, "Man, he said this year we just we're grateful to get a chance to play. We get a chance to play some young kids, that sort of thing." And so, you know, it was a. It, I think everybody looked at it differently. I think everybody was a little bit more grateful, you know, I mean, when you look at basketball last year and you really didn't get a chance to crown state champions, I think that uh, everybody was glad to crown uh, state champions. I think everybody was glad to make it through, and uh, I, for one, was as well. It was really neat that at the end of the season, you got to see a culmination of everything that happened, like you said, Brad. Even though there were some games where people played with 12 players in a game and I know one time at one point Carlisle had like 16 but they made it through and you saw some really big time performances and it's really funny because at the end of the year and if you look at all six classifications 2A through 7A the favorite won it and it kind of went to script at the end of the year and what we had some phenomenal performances weekend Caden site setting records last night in the 3A championship so Kudos to everybody, the, you know, the fans, the administration, the coaches, the players. Thank you for allowing these young men to go out there and have the time of their life and get to play their you know, for the senior class their last year of high school football and possibly their last year of football, you know, in their life. Yeah, and that that I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for a fact that we could go out on Friday night and feel just a little bit normal, right. even if it was just yep. three hours, just to feel a little normal. 
Well, Kevin, I want to go back to yeah. Def, I I can't uh, I can't retweet or re- repeat or wh- whatever R word you want to use. I can't say enough uh, what you guys just said about how thankful I am that we got there too. But I want to go back to all the favorites winning. Now, was Shiloh were they picked to win four A in the preseason? They were up there. They were top three. Robinson was picked to repeat, if I'm not mistaken, See, I, Brad. That was where, yeah, I, yeah that was where I yeah. got everything completely wrong, Brad. I was on your show. I think it was in week three, week two or three, so pretty early on. And just like everybody, I, I said the seven A is Bryant's, six A is Greenwoods, which looks like it looked like for a bit that Sylvan Hills or Lake Hamilton were going to have something to say about that. Five A, no question, PA. But I, I said that it was no question uh, Robinson. I thought that they were going to yeah. repeat. I didn't think that anybody could. Ozark did some good things. And then, of course, Shiloh, Stuttgart was one. Now, me, I, I'm going to give myself a mulligan on that one because I was not in Arkansas the last three years, the previous three football seasons. I knew that, that Stuttgart had struggled. I didn't realize the sophomore class, the sophomore and junior class that they had, that you know these guys, I mean, they made it to the semifinals, losing to a extremely good Shiloh team, as we saw. And that, I'll tell you, that's what's really scary about Saturday state champions in the 4A Shiloh beating Rivercrest and then Harding Academy being McGee those two teams that dominated the state championships they're mostly juniors and seniors I think I counted 12 seniors on Shiloh's roster based on what I had next to me and then Harding Academy's got a lot of especially offensive linemen Cabo I think you said that they have a lot of sophomores playing now you do lose Ty Duggar defensive lines yeah yeah and you, you lose you lose Ty Duggar and Caden Sype two massive losses uh, but either way, I'll tell you, Shiloh is definitely – Brad, I, I was telling Kevin and Porter yesterday um, after I had texted him after the game and I had said that that after in the postgame presser, I was talking to Eli Wisdom, you know, you got the MVP, and I, I asked him what it was like to, to have these guys not – you know, he's a sophomore winning a state championship and you've got all these juniors and sophomores that are right there with you. How, how does it feel to, uh, to, to have them by your side at least for one to two years? And he just looked at me and smiled and he just said – I don't want to walk out of here without a three-peat. And this is a kid that's full of confidence. I think he started the year with as a wide receiver. And so uh, just a phenomenal performance and just a, a well-put team together by both Harding Academy and Shiloh. Well, starting with Shiloh, Shiloh's back. Uh, yeah. And, but, you know, one of the things about Shiloh, they're so good. They're like a college team with their uh, media departments. Of course, I pay attention to a lot of that now because of, of what I do. Um, but, you know, they had a video where they were talking about how that a loss in the state championship was always the beginning of something big for them. And so they went back to 2019. So you actually you go back to 1997, and then it was 2000, and then it was uh, 2007, I believe. And, and after that, they all they won state championships every year, and, and usually multiples from there. And I know that at that one point there, they made the state championship game four years in a row, winning three of them. I think that you're looking at something very similar to that. And when you've got a sophomore like Wisdom that's pulling the trigger, I mean, he's only going to get better, you know. I mean, and and Shallow was scary good this year. I don't. I think that, you know, for years and years, we kind of written, wrote him off, you know. Everybody loves to hate Shallow. Everybody loves to hate Plasky Academy. And, I, and look, I, I can understand why. I think that there's arguments for it. I, I, I guarantee you that there are. But at the end of the day, part of the reason that people hate them is because they're so good. And, um, you know, Shiloh, with wisdom pulling the trigger at quarterback as a sophomore, the way they're, they're coached, they're so well coached every year, year in and year out, they're going to be uh, one of those teams that are probably looking at a possible three-peat there. They're absolutely the favorites to come back and win next year. I also think that Stuttgart is right there with them. Um, you know, the, that Stuttgart game in the semifinals this last year was one of those everything that could go wrong went wrong for Stuttgart and everything that went right or could go right went right for Shallow Christian. And it was one of those games that just a snowball rolled on top of uh, Stuttgart. And before you knew it, they're down 56 nothing at the half. And you're like, what just happened? You know, because I, I really felt like after uh, Stuttgart beat Robinson, I thought, wow. I said, Stuttgart's probably going to win this thing. And then all of a sudden – it was uh, the shallow train, and, and let's just say this: they beat Rivercrest. Rivercrest, to me, Cam Turner. Uh, we talked to Cam Turner and, and uh, Keyshawn Scott both on our show quite a bit. And I'm gonna tell you what: Cam Turner had the best year of any high school football player this year. Uh, no doubt. Keyshawn, Keyshawn Scott was right up there. So they didn't beat 
slouches. What I do hate, though, is that Turner wasn't healthy uh, enough to, to play in that state championship game like we've seen him play. Uh, fantastic kids, fantastic players, both those guys are. Um, if somebody's listening, and you need to get over the river crest and watch those kids, watch some film on them. I think they they got a chance to help somebody on their college roster at some point. Yeah, yeah and Brad, I wanted to bring up the point that with with PA and Shiloh and Harding winning, and this you know Shiloh's back, and you look at the private schools, and I know I, I've been on message boards with high school football for twenty years, and and with they've already added the multiplier, but just. Just ha- you look at the area like PA and Shiloh, the area that they're in, and they're able to have that 25-mile radius where they can get kids. You know, how, how long do you think if this keeps happening, are, are they going to try to get this multiplier and, and push it up, or do you just see this something that we're going to have to deal with? Uh, there's there's going to be a move at some point, I, in my opinion. I, I saw more, um, I guess, anger. I, I don't know what's the best way to put it, but I – I saw more coaches tweeting about, "Hey, when's the when's the real state championship? When does the the real teams get to play?" and and this is apples to oranges. And hey, look, I mean, you've got Harding, you've got Shiloh, you've got Pulaski Academy. You've only got ten private schools that even play football, and you had three of them win state championships. I mean, that's that's really hard to argue that. Hey, even with the multiplier, that we're we're not playing on a level field here. And I don't know what the answer is because you do only have 10. And, you know, I, I've got a cousin for defensive coordinator at Baptist Prep. If you throw Baptist Prep in a league with Pulaski Academy and Shiloh Christian and Harding Academy, Ooh. they're going to get their brains yeah. beat in. I Don't mean, it's not even the same fair. thing, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because so, you have a lot more now because of Pitt School and all those schools, and some of them have even shut down. And Right. But I, I was just bringing up those schools because, you know, with Shiloh being in Springdale, PA's in Little Rock, and, and winning – Breed, you know, breeds more talent, and especially mm-hmm. with more kids are going to these quarterback camps, and all these kids are going to camps year round and playing football year round. It's like I I see this doing nothing but more kids are going to start going to PA. You're going to get more kids yeah. going to Shiloh because look at, at Eli Wisdom. I think you know coming in as a sophomore and going to Shiloh. It's it's to me it's going to get to the point to where it's going to cause another multiplier or. You know, something's going to happen where they're just not going to play. Yeah, I, I wonder. That's my. I do wonder at some point when coaches say, "I'm done." I go. You can go back to this. This is way back, so I'm taking you a long time ago because I'm I'm an oldie but goodie myself. <laughs> but uh, back in uh, the uh, 1996 season, um, Mountainburg is where I actually finished school at. We were in the conference with Shallow Christian with Gus Malzahn. And it was the first year that Shallow was really good. And they had a guy named Tory Bradley. And yep. uh, allegedly, we're going to say allegedly, <laughs> that they were putting him up in a, an apartment and all this stuff. Well, the athletic director and principal at the time of Mountainburg got wind of this and, and started sniffing it out. There was enough proof in their mind that the conference boycotted them. Now, what ended up happening was Shiloh had to play their conference games against the likes of Prairie Grove and Gravit and all these other teams. Well, with Malzahn at the helm and all those other guys that they had, they were killing those teams as their conference games and then going down into the uh, 1A and 2A playoffs at the time and, you know, beating everybody but Barton in 97, and then they started their streak after that. Um, I, You know, I don't know, man. I mean, you're talking about another talking about uh, politics and things of that nature, and then – you know, how do you serve the kids that play for Shallow? I mean, it's not their fault. It's, it's not the fault of the kids at Harding Academy that winning breeds winning. I mean, look at Bryant. Bryant's the best team in the state. They are a public school. You know, they won three three in a row. Do you quit playing them? I mean, it, it's a it's catch-22 I've ever seen one, and I don't know the best answer to that. I really don't. Yeah, and you can honestly put Greenwood in that situation too because yes. you look at the fall of Southside, and honestly, you talk to the people around Southside and Greenwood. Southside people yeah. have, you know, alleged that, you know, all the kids, because they're school districts, but right up against each other. And all the programs that are good at Greenwood, they're not as good at Southside. So Greenwood's another good example of, you know, they're getting all this talent moving into Greenwood because yeah. of the winning. Well, make no mistake about it. 
public schools recruit, and school choice makes it possible to make that happen. So when we act like that we're not playing on the same playing field is not necessarily true. Now, some people may try harder than others. <laughs> you know what I mean? Winning might be more important to others than they are to some. I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm not going to say it's better one way or the other. I think it's a tough situation all the way around. But, you know, I do see that if we continue to have the repeat like we are, that at some point that people are going to stop, you know, they're just going to stop playing them. I don't, you know, whenever that is, I don't know. I mean, you're talking about last the academy's won nine state championships in what the last 20 years 15 years somewhere in there uh shallow's at eight right now since uh, 1998 i mean that's a lot of course greenwood being a public school they've won uh what is it 10 in the last 20 years i mean that's a lot of domination there i think when you look at that all three of those schools are really in the same uh kind of in the same bucket there but one of them's public and two of them's private. But some of it is just the fact that they win and people want to go play for them. I'm sitting here listening to this conversation as a, as a uh, private school graduate, just kind of like tucking my tail and like hiding <laughs> under the desk here. Because, <laughs> you know, well, it's just so funny. You brought up a good, well, Brad did bring us to a good point. You know, and you know the likes of Greenwood. Not oh, yeah, no, no. I, they, they persuade kids come in. And Bryant, sure, sure. Bryant's in the same situation. Yeah, they're right outside of Little Rock, but they're kind of kind of in the same spot. You know, people were going to move. And, look, I lived in Little Rock in, in the early 90s, and you, you look at the rise of teams like Cabot and Bologna and stuff, but people were moving out of Little Rock, and they were starting to go to the suburbs. And, you know, Cabot used to be a really good powerhouse because everybody was going to Cabot to play football you know every once in a while you'd have central and that would step up and play but you know now bryant it's like instead of moving up 67 to cabin they're moving down 30 to bryant mm-hmm. that's exactly right and i'll tell you right now you talk to the coaches about bryant they'll tell you the same thing and you know what it, it, at this point again it's not necessarily as much about recruiting just going up to a kid's house and saying, hey, why don't you move here? We've got this spot for you. It's more about, hey, we win. Look at what we're doing. And I also think that kids are much more involved with it than oh, yeah. adults are, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you've got people like Shiloh that go out and do the things that they do on social media, who doesn't want to be a part of that? Who doesn't want to get their uniforms out? This is the game day. I mean, this, this is what the kids are attracted to. They do a great job of it, and I think that, you know, if you don't think that that plays a factor in it, you're fooling yourself. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you guys. I um, Being just kind of in the centerfold of it, uh, I, I'll tell you this. I do think that there is something that needs to be done, but this kind of goes back. It's very similar to the playoff scenario. It's like at what point will people be happy about it? Because like Brad, you said, it, Bryant, Greenwood, there's some public schools right there. Like in some regards, I, I see the side of well, people are just crying. You need to do if you want to if you want to do something about it, then win. But then on the other side, it's just kind of like well, some kids don't have the resources. Like I'll be honest with you, man. You know, going to the CAC, um, we had some resource. We had a lot of resources that other kids at, at schools that we played didn't. Um, and, and, you know, we recognize that our coaches made us recognize that. And so there's just some, and I'm not talking about just, you know, facilities and, and stuff, and, um, stuff like that, having stable homes and just things of that, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. I'm talking about being able to go to camps and, and I'm not saying that just because you go to a private school means you have a stable home. I'm just saying in general, but my, my, what my point is, is going into, like some kids just don't have the the uh, their parents can't pay for camps they can't pay for extra training like a lot of the private school kids can it's just a reality I lived it I know it um, and so I I really do see both sides of it I know that's a very common thing for me to say is I do see both sides of so many different scenarios and I think that's why you know sometimes I just get on rambling but um, but no I, I do I, I do see it and uh, I think that that's going to be a I was going to bring that up. It's going to be a conversation this offseason. I can tell you just about all of the conversation uh, during the 3 and 4A state championship games in the media room was about that. I'm not going to name names of who was talking about it, but um, it definitely has been discussed already. And so 
Uh, but we're going to have to wrap things up here. But uh, before we get off, Porter, I appreciate you reminding me of this earlier. Um, we got to recognize Cannon Sandy, um, the the I believe yeah. he's in the Arkansas Sports Hall of Fame, the greatest Razorback fan that you will ever meet. And I'll tell you this, guys. I know a lot of dedicated Razorback fans. I consider myself one of them. I know many that will sit through rainstorms, will sit through just about anything to go to a game. But I can't even tell you that, you know, this with, with, uh, with Cannon's disabilities, um, he has still showed up to games, uh, being like when he's able to, and not just Razorback games. Um, I, I know that he had had a surgery. I, I want to say it was sometime a year or two ago, and he made it to a high school game of a recruit that was committed to Arkansas. This guy is an example of what we all should be as a super fan, as a fan, the way that he supports the Razorbacks through the tough times, through the bad times. At a, I can think of, I think it was three or four games, uh, high school games that I was covering this season that I saw him there just cheering, couldn't get enough of, of the atmosphere. And, um, but he got a lot, li- I guess I'm sitting here ran- like talking about rambling a second ago. Uh, he got a lifetime uh, pass to all Razorback sports uh, for the coming, for basically for life. Um, he can go to any Razorback sport for free. And uh, man, that's just an incredible gesture by this university to do that for a guy that has just given so much to this Razorback athletic program. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and let me just say something about your check. Uh, what a class move by him. You know, he didn't have to do that. And he did. And uh, I met Caden, Kane and Sandy at, uh, at the College World Series in Omaha and his mother. And, um, you know, it was it was awesome. And you're right. All the things that you said there, um, Kyle, that I agree with 100%. It's what you should be. It's what a fan should be like. Just the innocence of it is, is pretty remarkable. And um, it was a class move by the U of A for sure. Yeah, and this has kind of been in the talks for, you know, a minute trying to, you know, make this happen. There was there's been talks about maybe trying to do this last year against the Kentucky game and, and getting him some kind of lifetime membership, you know. But there had to, there was a lot of logistics and, and um legalities to really make it happen. And so when this come up that, you know, Hernan Yurchek invited him to the game and Eric Musselman invited him to be his guest, I knew something was happening. And when when it posted and I got to see him with that picture of that lifetime contract with Hunter, yeah, but yeah, praise to Hunter Yurchek on what he's done. I mean, he's it's like he's starting to evolve into a Razorback. You know, you can just see how much he loves this this school, and and same with Eric Musselman. It's like they're starting to really become Arkansans, and nobody deserves this more than Kane because, like Cabo was saying and Kyle was saying, he'll go to the recruits games if they're if they're offered by the hogs he'll go watch one of their games it's like he gets in that little hog mobile and he'll go all over the place to watch kids play yeah definitely i think that is just uh i mean you know this we see a lot of negativity within this fan base just like you see in in all of college football all of sports but man it's just um that just brings a whole new perspective when you see the university when you see the athletic department do things like that um just because i mean it's just uh yeah it really tugs at the old heart heartstrings but well, guys, great show, and uh, Brad, really appreciate the conversation, man. Appreciate you coming on. We've been meaning to get you on for a while, but I knew, especially with uh, college or with high school football season coming to an end, we'd want to do a, a recap. But, uh, man, good talking some college ball with you, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely have you on down the road. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys and all that you're doing, and uh, glad to be a part of ESPN with, with all of you. Well, guys, that will do it for another episode of the Hog Talk Podcast. As always, we thank you for listening. And again, if you haven't subscribed already, please be sure and do so. You can find us on any forum. Other than that, we will see you on Friday for episode number 150. For Brad Caldwell, Porter Hayes, my name's Kyle Sutherland. We will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.